Hello, everyone. This week we have uh, Tony uh, on, who's always a good guest, fun to talk with. There was some weird internet uh, connection problems, so every now and then you'll hear some little glitchy robot sounds, and it might even cut out some of the things he was saying. Uh, but I think it's all pretty much in there. Uh, but I've left those uh, robot things in there so that you can know when it goes robot. And with that, enjoy the show. So I had carrots, and uh, I had one carrot I sliced lengthwise, and then I had uh, I had we had some egg salad, egg salad. I was gonna say sandwich, but it's just egg salad. Uh, and we need to eat that because we're going out of town for a few days soon tomorrow. And uh, but now I put a, a mystery ingredient in there that I learned from my wife. I want to give each of you one guess. What is something that would go with carrots? A mystery ingredient. How about you go first, Richard? So it's not an ingredient in the egg salad, just something that goes with carrots, period. Well, it could go with carrots on its own, but I did put it into the egg salad. Uh, and it's not like pick- pepper or anything like that. Like it's no. its own thing. Pickles? Pickles, that's a good guess. Egg salad with pickles is delicious. However, that is not what it is. How about, how about special guest? First, why don't you introduce yourself and then take a guess. Tony McCauley from Home Depot. Uh, so not a, not a condiment, something. So not pepper, not a spice. Well, uh, it's not a spice. It is a condiment, but it's it's. Ah, uh, you see. Okay. Um, let's go with. Oh man, I have no idea. No idea. You just totally give up. That's fine. Okay. I mean, if it's say ketchup, we're we're stopping this podcast. Oh, right that's close. That's close. The secret ingredient. Oh, no. The secret ingredient was mustard. Oh, I almost said mustard. I think mustard's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. mustard come in all egg salad? I don't know. Yeah, well, that's not, that doesn't feel very edgy. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, you know, this, this, uh, you know, I got, I got the Albert Hein, the sort of uh, grocery store, the, as I like to think of it, the HEB uh, of the uh-huh. Netherlands. And uh, their egg salad is a little mild. Maybe there's like a Indonesian or Surinamese egg salad I can get. I don't know if there's mustard. Okay, okay. You got me there. Normally I w- would put mustard in there, but. My whole point to this story is uh, uh, I learned about a year ago that you could actually put mustard, just regular mustard, on carrots. And that just, like, blew my mind. That seemed just crazy. But uh, apparently that's totally normal. In some parts. I'm going (laughs) to... Yeah. I'm going to take your word for it and try it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like, I had a a Dijon mustard, a little spicy, a little horseradishy, even regular mustard. It's it's a strange combination, but, but, uh, but it works out. It's pretty good. See if you do if you do the spicy mustard. I oh, I can do that on almost everything. See, yeah, I love that. Yeah. See exactly. That's that's I normally I, I that's what I was thinking with the Dijon mustard. Is like I like I like some spicy food, and I have a theory that like if you have, you know, I can only eat like one carrot before I just like am really bored. You know, like the carrot's really good, <laughs> and then like you get to that second carrot. And it's just like, oh, man, I feel like I should just put a bunch of dirt in my mouth. Not that it tastes like dirt, but it's just like there's nothing going on. And uh, yeah. I thought if I had some some spiciness, it would, it would uh, I guess, yeah. metaphorically speaking, spice up the carrot. That's right. Maybe it goes on your tuna pizza from a couple episodes back. Ooh. Oh, no. No, I still am not into that. That's, that's no yeah. good. <laughs> Checking. That is no good. I don't. I don't think fish goes on pizza. That's well. I guess anchovies. That's it. But is that really fish? Anchovies. Yeah. Hmm. Eh. Yeah. It's like the know. McDonald's of the fish. 
Yeah, so McDonald's yeah. version of fish. That's true. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll say you know I think there's a lengthy fish conversation we could have about anchovies where I think I feel like an anchovy is sort of like a chip, and in, in that a chip is often just an excuse to eat a bunch of queso. You know, and I, I don't know. Maybe anchovy is just an excuse for salt, but that's that's a category of food we could dive into uh, on the next episode you're on, perhaps, Tony. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce your like you've already introduced yourself, but like what do uh, what do you work on? What's your deal? What is my deal? My deal is to uh, so uh, we have a bunch of developers at Home Depot who would have thought, and uh, I think my deal is to make sure they are happy and productive. That is mm. kind of my deal. You know, and I don't know if we discussed this in in past conversations, but how did uh, how did you end up doing that? Well, we started out uh, running a platform team, so we had this old platform we built, and then uh, we signed a deal with you guys a few years ago and started doing CF. Um, and it turned out CF was really cool for empowering all of our developers, and they loved it, and they could choose the languages they wanted to work in. And uh, I guess they enjoyed the way that we ran the platform. Uh, I think we did it a little untraditionally uh, from typical infrastructure side of things. And then, uh, yeah, so they wanted us to do more and more things. So, um, you know, we started running some dev tool stuff um, and now we're doing trainings and uh, enablement stuff. And now we're changing IT controls. And so we're doing all sorts of cool things. Is is kind of that collection of stuff different than what, what you, uh, you would have anticipated it being? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we started four years ago, it was uh, very um, like, hey, we have some things that you need to go run and operate and make sure it doesn't fall down. Uh, and and that was great. And we did that. Um, and then uh, I think just the community aspect of things, we built up a pretty big Slack community. Um, and now, I mean, they just like, hey, why don't you run the API gateway for us? Or, hey, why don't you uh, do something about these terrible IT controls? And so we just <laughs> <laughs> we just started taking on more and more things. Yeah. You know, I, and that's that's uh, as as you're going over that, I was I was realizing, you know, one one aspect I've noticed that uh, with with groups like yourself, right, who are the uh, as you uh, to summarize what you're saying, making the developers happy and enabling them and all that. Uh like that uh, that doesn't seem like a traditional operations infrastructure thing to do and and i think i think when i've talked with people who operations people who are running a platform or who are in that role nowadays uh they all i forced is the wrong word but i'll use the passive voice they all end up uh sort of doing what you described essentially being like an internal provider and having to uh, having to getting to like talk with people and uh you know have a community around it and, and work more closely with developers and many of them have that same sort of uh posture if you will that you had that like we're we're trying to do stuff that uh makes your life easier <laughs> but that that uh people yeah. seem to evolve to that position yeah i don't think we set out i mean it definitely wasn't in the cards for us I and mean, we sort of lucked into it um okay. You know, some of it with some uh, uh, corralling and uh, suggestion from, you know, some of the folks at Pivotal we were working with. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, also for us, we were all software developers. Like, none of us had systems backgrounds or infrastructure backgrounds. And so, um, for us, it was the only way we knew how to run things. How big is this team, Tony, that, that's doing this function? Yeah, so the uh, the platform team themselves, um, I think there are seven people now. Um, 
uh, we have some part-time help from some infrastructure people here and there uh, for capacity build-outs. And then, and now I have three other teams. So we have um, a DevTools team, which is about seven or eight people, and they run things like Artifactory, GitHub, um, Slack. Uh, they do some of the Pivotal Tracker API stuff, um, Confluence. Um, and then we have another team, a pipeline engineering team. So they're doing some Spinnaker work, and then they're also looking at um, some sort of metrics and insight stuff. Um, and then we have another team that is software engineers, and they are sort of working on uh, filling all the gaps. So anything that we have to build custom uh, to either automate some security stuff or compliance stuff or, or collaboration and sharing, that's another seven or eight. So there's about 45 to 50 people now um, that work with me. Wow, that's awesome. So is that pipeline engineering team, are they helping build pipelines for specific teams or just building kind of the infrastructure patterns or models that other teams then build their pipelines for? Yeah, it's a good question. We have a, um, I think we were taking a slightly different approach. So the original approach was to sort of build one pipeline to rule them all. Um, and I think what we landed on was, um, and having done this at a couple other companies, um, we didn't want to be too prescriptive with the CI portion of that. There's just too many languages and testing utilities and a bunch of other things. So we still let teams build their own CI environments. Uh, we help share best practices. But um, but what we're working on now with Spinnaker is more of the CD part of it. So um, actually getting your things into production, that's what that team is working on. Yeah, so speaking of that, so you're a... Uh... You know, you at Home Depot, you yourself have been in Cloud Foundry world for a long time. You know, good success, good, good stories you've told us over the years. Now I know you're doing some more Kubernetes sort of stuff at Home Depot. I remember when we first talked, you're like, I don't know, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, containers, we don't need any of that. We're doing, we're focused on apps and things like that. But it seems like some of the use cases have expanded. You're doing some Kubernetes work. Can you tell us about how you kind of see those two things living? Yeah, it's actually a really, uh, it's a very spirited conversation going on right now. Um, so we've had some people interested in Kubernetes for a while. Um, one of the things that's happened recently is um, functions. Um, so we have a lot of teams now with uh, SRE groups. And, um, you know, a lot of these SRE groups, I think, want Kubernetes, and we have a lot of engineers that want Kubernetes. I've been resisting, like, well, what, what are we going to be using this for that we can't use CF for? Um, and there are some valid use cases that have come up. So we're seeing more and more um, some vendored software that we buy um, that, that comes packaged as a container and needs to run somewhere. Um, and we're also looking to migrate our old platform to something a little bit more modern, and Kubernetes seems to be a good fit for that. Um, but in terms of... Uh, uh, we still have a lot of engineers, I think, that expect that when Kubernetes gets rolled out, it's going to be, you know, you get a cluster and you get it. It's like the Oprah Winfrey of containers. You know, it's like everyone gets a cluster. And I'm not sure if that's the right pattern that we want to go. So we're still having some conversations. But as a whole, I feel um, for 80, 85 percent of our workloads that we would still use CF. And I still think that's the better option. So so how do you how are you thinking through the uh, uh, the you get a cluster sort of strategy like that uh like i'm thinking of there there's a presentation that uh that rabobank gives where uh they they kind of go over there like here's here's the the infrastructure of the platform that we think we should provide like there's four types and here's like here's you know, and now that I think of it, he doesn't really go into a, the, a detailed analysis, but it's sort of like across uh, VMs, containers, and like uh, pivotal, uh, pivotal Cloud Foundry and like functions. Here's we kind of like fig- thought about what developers need, and and this this option fits 
these scenarios for them. Uh, and kind of like you were saying, most of their scenarios fit into uh, using CF for it. But like, I don't know, how do you put together like figuring out if every development team should run on like uh, a Kubernetes cluster versus be a function or run in VMs or be on CF? What's the what's the analysis there? last year where we're like uh, what's our platform of the future um what is that going to be based on and we had a lot of technical thought leaders that were like uh, it has to be kubernetes it's the future um and then i think when you stop focusing on the technology and all the buzzwords and you're like yeah but in terms of our engineers and how they're going to interact with this platform what are those things and when you abstract all that away it's like the list they came up with it was like well that, that's cloud foundry like um and so i think that's where we struggled is for me is that we have a lot of people that want to use Kubernetes for Kubernetes sake um, versus like, well, what problems are we actually solving? Um, what do you, what do we want the interactions and the patterns and the day-to-day lives of our engineers to be like? Um, and I think where we're struggling is there's a lot of what I call resume building. There's a lot of people that just want to work with whatever this thing is that's eating the social media and the technology world mm. uh, vers- versus trying to get work done. Um, and so I think that's where we're struggling is, um, there are some valid use cases for Kubernetes and I think that want to hire, you want the best talent at your company and they come here and they're like, yeah, I can't wait to work with Kubernetes. And you're like, well, (laughs) uh, we kind of want you to sell hammers and fix like, you know, two day delivery. Um, Mm. so, (laughs) (laughs) so there's a, that's, that's part of the challenge. Well, you know, uh, along those lines, uh, you know, one of the, it's almost, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, slightly like cliche at this point but you often hear in the container in the kubernetes world right that like like kubernetes is a platform for platforms and i guess that means it's not a platform itself or something but like what uh what what do you take that phrase to mean that it's like and does that kind of fit fit into like your your own view of like where you would fit it into the the platform you're providing yeah i mean that's the way i see it is i i see kubernetes sort of as a infrastructure as a service uh, plus or star right um so i i if there were services or platforms that we wanted to expose to our engineers um you know we would back those with Kubernetes when it made sense. Uh, And so the example would be um, if a team wants a pipeline, right, they wouldn't get a cluster and build their own pipeline. They would get pipeline as a service backed by Kubernetes. Um, Mm, I don't think it would be Kubernetes itself or a cluster itself. Like I don't think cluster as a service is the right, uh, the right pattern to expose to teams for the most part. Is there certain types of package softwares, Tony, you're seeing? Is it databases? Are you starting to do more with things like Kafka and messaging? I mean, what kind of commercial or package software do you find yourself throwing in these? Um, well, there's not a lot. I mean, there's only been a couple. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> That's the thing. So there's only been a couple that have come up so far. Um, you know, to be honest, I, my head is I think um, I, I still think we're figuring out a lot. of. Um, I, I personally, I think it's really early. And um, what I'm trying to uh, is figure out the right balance of there's a lot of really smart, talented engineering and companies that are going after solving these problems and and how involved do we want to be in that or um, do we just need to play with it enough to kind of stay you know up to speed with the the landscape so that once it is figured out you know we can be a, a fast follower so um, you know to be honest I think um, you know I I've always felt that um, you know the developer experience on Cloud Foundry is awesome. And, you know, I think it's sort of ironic that 
um, you know, the the developer experience friendly version of Kubernetes like might actually be CF, right? And it's uh, so I think you know I think it's more of us just preparing for the future, um, staying up to speed, but it, it's tampering expectations and desires of a large technology base that that just wants to kind of like you know play with things and tweet things and uh, and put things on their resume and sections and and uh, and not get people upset and, and want to leave and do other things. So that's, that's the hard part. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about when you were kind of describing that, that challenge is uh, I think it was in paradox of choice or a book I read recently that it's tough for humans because things lose their novelness with us fairly quickly. Like something that was super awesome. Um, you know, the new car, the whatever, you know, a month ago is now like, oh, that, that's cool. So do you feel like as you're further down this journey, some of the things that were just amazing at the beginning, whether it's getting apps to production on pipelines or CF push or some of these things now can maybe take for granted. Are there things you think you take for granted because you've just been doing them a long time? What gets boring after a while? Oh, uh, that is a really good question. Um, I, I think there are certainly things that we take for advantage, uh, take it or uh, we don't appreciate. Um I mean, I think scaling still is a big one. And a lot of the, uh, in the CF world, at least, a lot of the sort of uh, health checks and corrections of things that still have a lot of apps, you know, with memory leaks or issues here and there. And and I think, you know, Cloud Foundry's made it sort of easy to sweep some of that stuff under the rug for some teams, um, not our most mature teams. But, um, but yeah, I think just the, I think the API itself um, and how you can sort of abstract away a bunch of the things that engineers need to do on a day-to-day basis into like, you know, eight API calls or something. Um, I think we take that for granted. And, and as we look to other platforms, even Google, for example, um, and the fact that they don't have that sort of interaction, I, um, it makes it really difficult to do some of the things that we've done the last couple of years with compliance and security and stuff. Uh, because we don't have that uh, that sort of front-facing uh, API proxy to everything uh, underneath. Mm. Mm-hmm. What about that back end, too? Because, I mean, you, you, I think, started, as you mentioned, running a platform team. So you also dealt with the good and the bad of trying to roll updates out to a multi-tenant platform and things like that. Did that also mess with your expectations moving forward of what it, what does it mean? Now, hopefully, if you're running something as a service entirely, you don't even see muck of updating operating systems and things like that but assuming you're not entirely in that world for quite a while has that messed with your expectations of what you want a platform to do for you yeah it has and i think actually now that we're starting to assess um other things like kubernetes or you know data service offerings and things we keep finding ourselves um comparing everything i think subconsciously to cf it's like well, there was 3,000 people and we're running it with a team of eight and uh, we do updates and upgrades during the day when zero downtime. Um, and so now as we're starting to compare to other things, we're like, well, it doesn't do this and it doesn't do that. Or, uh, you know, we could do this, but we'd need like, you know, 15 SRE teams. And and so, yeah, it, it is jading. <laughs> it's jading sort of our assessment of everything else uh, to some degree, at least me internally. Um, I know that we have some, <laughs> some folks that are like, oh, yeah, we, we should have an SRE team on every team. But um, I don't feel that way personally. But uh, our platform team has been really good. Um, the fact that they can upgrade, you know, OSs and VMs and stuff without really even having to tell us most of the time is, is pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, the, the, the zero downtime, you know, during the day upgrades, that was a first for us at Home Depot. That was not something that we did before. Uh, you know, you were mentioning, uh, you know, uh, hammers and fixing second day delivery, uh, which which sounds nice. So you know, I've been I've been trying to figure out like uh, linking those two things together. So you do you do like uh, uh, 
a zero, you know, a zero downtime upgrade or, or whatever you might pick as sort of a platform function you provide. And how do you like figure out how that links up to like fixing two day delivery? And then further on, how do you figure out like why two day delivery matters? <laughs> I mean, intuitively it makes sense, but yeah. that, that's, that's kind of like a, a corny way of putting it. But to put it uh, from another angle, like I've, I, I keep waiting for like, I, you know, in IT, we have this phrase, the business. And, uh, I hear very few stories about how the business is like, whoa, we've got this crazy IT function now. So let's just have them like do things and we're not going to harass them about how much it costs all the time. <laughs> like, like we're just more going to focus on like, <laughs> we want to do this new type of business. And so sure, we don't want to overpay for it, but like more what we want to do is figure out how to provide this new thing. Right. And, uh, I don't know. So that I'm really avoiding like cliche terms like IT business alignment or ROI or all that stuff. But like I'm sort of realizing the the spreadsheet driven, just like cost accounting way of doing like uh, business IT alignment like that never really goes anywhere. <laughs> like it's maybe it works for like desktop operating systems, yeah. but for everything else, it doesn't seem very useful. So how how uh when it comes to the you know selling more hammers and the two day shipping like what does that look like when the the business people and the the nerd people get together and and try to uh work together on it yeah i would i would say i would love i would love to say that we figured that out uh the <clears throat> so i think recently a, a big change for us is we just hired um so we have our own uh product organization now so we just hired our first chief product officer um, and there is a group that's being built out. Um, and I think there's been a couple of big IT initiatives that have been embraced and funded. Um, that uh, one of those being sort of common services where we're trying to take, you know, 14 or 15 uh, large domains from the retail experience and sort of funding those um, as, uh, you know, sort of ongoing uh, things that we should always be caring about and in supply chain. Uh, hey, you know, we, we need these set of features, right? And then how do we know whether or not um, we're, we're making money or we're saving money by doing them? Um, I, I can say from our part, what we're trying to do is be much more data-driven. So we have all of these, mm. you know, tools. Um, uh, we have all these tools, right? So we have Tracker and GitHub and, and Cloud Foundry and we have pipelines and it's... Um, and uh, another book that I read recently, Accelerate, or I guess not so recently, but you know, there's there's some really good meaty things in there. But um, it's like, how do you know if it's if it's true? And so I think <laughs> one of the big things, <laughs> one of the big things that we're that I'm you know sort of driving this year is like, hey, let's be a much more data driven organization. So we have all these metrics and rich data, but how do we know if pushing more frequently has a positive impact on our product teams? Yeah. And so, um, so we're working with our product organization. Um, they have a bunch of things that they care about. That's different philosophy of like OKRs where it's what I call like TDD for product. Um, it's, it's, a uh, they sort of come up with these things. They're like, hey, we want to move some needle by X percent or some you know, Y value, um, and we're going to release some things and, and see if that needle moves. And so I think that's really interesting. And, I, and my theory is that when we pair that up with um, sort of these rich metrics around how frequently teams go to production um, or how, you know, uh, how many changes they go that don't, that don't cause problems, that do those have an, a, a positive impact on product teams being able to move their needles? So. Mm. Um, so that's the theory. We'll see. Um, there's a lot of work to do there, and we're just starting to 
to kick some of that off. But uh, I think that's an interesting case study for us. Yeah, yeah. That'll be fun to see how that pans out. Like, I think, uh, to, to cite another book, so I've been reading, um, I forget what it's called, The Flow Framework or something, This the new book from uh, Mick Kirsten, or Kirsten, I always forget how to say his name, uh, who's, who's like the CEO of Tastop, but he's done all sorts of other stuff. And, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out essentially like how to how to apply like lean thinking and value stream maps to the entire process of a software driven business, um, more or less. And uh, he's got this little like um, uh, interludes of, of lucky him being at like the BMW plant and seeing how they make cars and everything, uh, which is fun if you're into that kind of uh, <laughs> interstitial stories. But it. it Towards the end of, of the book, which I'm not quite finished with, he, he finally makes this interesting point about thinking about value streams where like in manufacturing, uh, doing a value stream is pretty straightforward because I guess you literally have a line, right? So it's a very right. like it's a very straight uh, series of things. Now, I'm sure there's there's some nuance, but there's even more nuance. And what he does, what he says is he realizes that if you look at all the activities to get software out of the door and I don't know if it's him, it's like two other people he was working with kind of brought this to him, is that it's actually just like a network of things. And so like figuring out how to not only like optimize the way a network flows, but I think back to the the point I was meandering about, like how to find causation in a network <laughs> can be very difficult, right? And so it's... Yes. And, and so like it's making me think that's part of the issue we always have is like intuitively we know it'd be better to ship software more frequently. But then like, if you do the quarterly, like, you know, how many hammers did we sell? It's, it, 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 I don't know how you would do it, but it seems like it might be hard to say like, well, we ship software once a day for this last quarter and therefore we sold 50% more hammers. <laughs> like, and, and <laughs> like, and, and maybe wanting to answer that question is like the wrong question in the first place, but I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in there, right? Like somehow that the, the time and money spent on increasing releases has to link back up to something like that. And I have no idea how that happens in the real world. Yeah, I, I don't think it does. Um, I think um, <laughs> I like that answer. Move on to the next quandary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know if anyone's figured that out yet. But I think um, ideally, I think uh, theoretically, if you break down these metrics and they they sort of create a tree of metrics, and so I think right. uh, as long as the app teams are able to move needles at their level, that move needles above them. But it's all theory. Um, and I think uh, I think the more important thing is capturing um, what doesn't work, right? And I think mm. if you're doing these fast feedback loops, I think what we need to celebrate more often is the the things that we didn't invest in that we learned was the wrong thing to do. And I think that that bringing that to light is as valuable or more valuable. And I don't think we put enough focus on that. So. Um, I think there's something there um, in, in celebrating that sometimes. Yeah, no, you're reminding me. That's another little uh, thing I had squirreled away on this topic is, uh, and, and I like the way you put it, that, like if it's if it's impossible to show positive causation, or not impossible, if it's not if it's not profitable, <laughs> so to speak, right? It's it's not worth your time. Uh, maybe something good to do is is to avoid things blowing up. <laughs> right which is is kind of like a, a a cynical way of looking at it but i always thought that was one of the better like 
uh, sort of rules of thumb from the the Black Swan guy, Nassim Taleb, which is like, success is great, but what's really going to cause you to not succeed is blowing up. <laughs> so like, <laughs> if you can avoid, over time, if you can avoid blowing up, you'll be successful, which, which um, I, I, you know, which that I think that's, that is a, again, easy and hard is the wrong word, but that's a much more profitable exercise to go through, right? And that's why having stability and all these things is good. And not that you shouldn't try the other thing, but it definitely, uh, it has a clear effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not blowing up. What's the, uh, I mean, so in that, what's the hardest part today about being getting to production, Tony? What we struggle with is, uh, you know, honestly, just this whole socks thing, man. If you If you got rid of socks and, and uh, PCI and compliance, you know, or, um, uh, or, or found some ways to, to, I think, uh, align your company differently so that those things aren't as big of an issue. But, um, yeah, I think most of it is just us kind of getting in our own way. We have a lot of process and, and, uh, and regulatory things and, you know, that's, there's a finance group and then there's a, there's an audit group and then there's, you know, a technology group and a security group and they're all getting pulled in different directions. Right. And it's, uh, how do you kind of get them all on the same page that, hey, our goal is to, you know, uh, release software more frequently so that we can figure out what works and doesn't work for our business faster. So um, getting everyone on the same page about that mission, I think, is is the hardest part. You know, we we, we kind of scheduled doing this this talking when we were thinking about uh, Spring One platform talks and various stuff that you all have going on. So you all have been working on that problem. Uh, of automating compliance and uh, tell us about that what's what's that looking like yeah i think um we thought it was pretty cool at the time so a couple years ago uh, and it's we've been iterating on it for a while um what we did i mean so i think one of the things that we do differently um well i'll 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 just be transparent so we so we had an audit internal audit um and it turns out that our our controls were you know just do the right thing right have it have a change record for everything and it turns out that um when you just do that there's a percentage of your folks that don't do it. So, um, so it turns out that, uh, you know, we had a handful of teams that were not doing their change records. And so, um, you know, our, our leadership sort of removed everyone from production. So for us at Home Depot, we had people as space developers in production cloud foundry. Um, so, you know, we didn't do anything to block their production access. And so we had teams, you know, pushing things to production without change records and, and so we had to remove everyone from Space Developer, which caused a bunch of problems. We had issues around GitHub access and Cloud Foundry access. And they were like, hey, if you're a developer and you can write code in, Cloud, in GitHub, then you can't push your own code in Cloud Foundry. Um, I was like, well, you know, the whole DevOps thing is to, to write code and deploy code, right? So what we did is we came up with this thing. Um, we called it Locksmith. We put it, um, essentially what we did is we proxied all of the requests coming into the Cloud Foundry API. And we allowed teams to do whatever they want as long as it wasn't you know, something that would change code. And then so for mm-hmm. those API calls, we would go through and make a bunch of service calls to make people feel comfortable that they had done all the right things. So we would look up change records and service now, uh, we would see if they've scanned their code and tested and a bunch of stuff. Um, and that worked, um, uh, except that we still had an issue with this sort of segregation of duties concern. Um, have you guys heard of segregation of duties, by the way? Is that like a thing? Any- mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. Yep. All right. So I, I just want to make sure it wasn't just us, but, um, so to, to get around segregation of duties, what we did is we said, Hey, like, um, it doesn't really matter who pushes the code as long as they can't do it themselves. And so instead of, uh, separating, um, for us internally, the people that write code from the people that push code, uh, we said, Hey, like, uh, Anyone, any code that gets deployed has to sort of be approved by two people. And if it is, then then you can't go to production by yourself. And so we redefine segregation of duties for us internally. So um, so essentially what this locksmithing does is it is it looks at the artifact being pushed, make sure that multiple people have signed off on it. Um, so that's how we got around segregation of duties. Um, it's essentially a route service for the Cloud Foundry API, um, if that makes sense. Um, but, and we've seen, and so now everyone has production access again in Cloud Foundry. So everyone's back to being space developers um, in production, which hmm. is, I think, I think kind of rare. But yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, true to the uh, description, you, uh, you, you sort of automated the enforcement of compliance, <laughs> which, yes, which, which, which <laughs> seems, uh, seems like it would be better than sort of, uh, well, as you were saying, it's better than having sort of procedure that people need to follow. I mean, I guess, I guess you just lock down the thing and don't don't let them do it. But like, it's probably even a, a richer source of uh, compliance information, hopefully, and less tedious. Which, and I was just thinking, that's a that's a great example of how like uh, software is a network instead of a factory line, right? Like having to go out to service now to check something and look at all these other things. There's like multiple like spaghetti bowls that you have to go dig around in. And not just uh, not just sort of like a compliance person sitting there yeah. on the line. I mean, me personally, I'd rather us not have any of that and just you know hold people accountable. And uh, you know, it, the the joke I make is if you get audited and there's no one doing anything wrong, do you need IT controls? And then okay, this is what you should do and shouldn't do. Um, I, I think the problem is like as a big company, what's the right mix of uh, like, hey, we're going to prevent you from doing a couple things. Uh, to show that we're not negligent, but, um, you know, ideally I would just, I would wish that we could just kind of, uh, hold people accountable so that you, d- you need less process, but that's hard to do in a big company. Yeah. 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 There's probably some chart that shows uh, size of company and amount of process required. <laughs> <laughs> you know, years ago when you presented at different conferences, you talk about apps, you've got in prod or how many, how much you're pushing. So even amongst all this, is there a stat now that you're proud of? Like even with all the craziness of pushing to prod and do, using different clouds, what what's that thing that is celebrated internally right now? Yeah, so I think there's a few things. So um, I think in production, you know, we're doing um, uh, we do 17 billion HTTP production, um, and you know we're still around 400 to 500 production changes a week um, in production, and of those, the fail rate so. So now with Locksmith, we can see uh, the code changes that are people making. Is it is it based on a change or is it based on an incident? Um, and the changes made from incidents is at uh, less than one percent. So uh, if you look at those, you know, four hundred to five hundred production changes each each week, um, zero point zero point zero six percent of those are due to incidents. Mm. So um, yeah, so there's the. Um, some really cool things going and, on, and you uh, you garbled out there a little bit. How much? What did you say at first? How many deploys? I think you do. Uh, the, we the, do four. The yeah, first four hundred. Yeah, four hundred to five hundred a week in okay. production. Yep. And, and the and, other number, I think, was API requests, right? I think you were right. saying. Yeah, there's 17 billion uh, service requests on each month. 
mm. in production. Wow. Those are some big numbers. What what like what are what are those? Like when it comes to like when you're when you're deploying all those times a week, like what are you actually deploying <laughs> and what are those calls for? Like what are I don't know. What what happens that frequently? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't think we know anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, four years ago, I used to know every developer that was on the platform and, you know, would talk to them, you know, for two to three hours a day. And uh, I mean, today it's kind of taken on a, a shape of its own. Um, uh, our Slack community, um, you know, the Cloud Foundry community that we have on Slack internally is, you know, by far probably one of the most, the busiest except for the one that tells you where free food is. I think that one might be beating us, but um, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the Slack community has been great. I mean, we, our team doesn't really even handle a lot of the sort of newbie questions or, um, you know, some of the, the first level of support questions. Our community does a lot of that for us. So, so finally, um, you know, like you're saying, you have a, a chief product officer and uh, you're, you're, you're helping make the developers lives easier and so forth and so on all the great things. Like how, uh, like, like on your, in your group, how do you like product manage what you do? Cause I assume that's part of it, right? In the same way that a, uh, a chief product officer of, of Home Depot comes up with what their customers and I would imagine suppliers and other people, but you know, you've got a product management going on, uh, in the business side, but do, do y'all do that, uh, for the platform that you run? Yeah, so that's what's new. So that's sort of what I'm heading up. So we just hired a couple of product folks from this product group. Um, and we're looking at our engineers as users. So we're starting to do formal uh, sort of UX research around that. Um, we're creating journey maps for the different demographics. So another big thing that we're seeing is whether or not the teams are in scope for SOX or PCI. That seems to be a big factor into sort of their workflow and journey map. So so we're doing a lot of formal research around uh, what the different teams need and what their pain points are and their processes and stuff. And that's interesting to have a, uh, uh, speaking of segregations, like a, a segregation of compliance complexity, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Like, like this, this profile of things needs to deal with all this stuff and this other one, you know, just do whatever. I mean, responsibly, but, but that yeah, is... I mean, that's a that's an interesting way of like dividing things up. So how many how many uh like teams do you have working on apps? Oh, that is a good question. So I think um I, um we did go through a big hiring spree that you guys may have heard of. I think we ended up hiring 900 uh engineers oh, wow. uh, last year. So I think you know um for for aprons as we call them associates, I think we're up to um, and I think there's about 2,700 of them on the platform. So, um, and we've had a couple of acquisitions and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a large group. Um, uh, I don't remember. What was the question again? <laughs> oh, oh, just, just like, it, you know, just to get a sense of like, so you have all the, the, uh, the astounding numbers of, of kind of the, uh, velocity or movement each week, right. And API calls and deploys. And so like, I, I mean, how many like applications and therefore how many teams and sort of how many people that equals, right? Like it's, it's always interesting um, to think about how much, as you were kind of joking about earlier, how much software development large organizations actually do on their own. <laughs> it's sort of like, right. I always, I was still after everything that's been going on in the last five years, like it always seems like the, uh, the sort of hidden pool of software developers out there. Uh, so I'm yeah. always curious for a sizing of them. Yeah. So I, I don't know the number of 
in terms of CF uh, things, we have four thousand over four thousand um, services All in right. production now on CF. Um, and then from Teams, um, you know, we we see some services on there that haven't. But then we still see new things being added all the time. So, um, yeah, I don't know the number of teams, but uh, we're up to four thousand apps or services. Yeah, um, that's that's a lot from like a, a couple of years ago, if I remember. Showed internally um, was that um, in terms of of adoption, we saw nearly double the adoption in the last year. So, um, so that hockey that that little curve um, went up a lot last year. It's starting to smooth out a little bit. So, so like, what uh, like, like, what do you see being kind of next year? Like, what are the, what's the next set of things that you think you'll be working on? Like, do you do you get the chance to sort of like dream up things that the platform team might want to do, or are you still like too busy? Uh, you know, making sure all the pipes aren't bursting, keeping the yeah. Um, so our team, I think, there's a lot of. Uh, there, right now, uh, one of the big things that we're looking to help out with is um, this sort of hybrid cloud thing, right? Which I'm not entirely sure what that means still, but um, but we do know that we have some things that we want to run, you know, in Google or Microsoft, and we have some things that we want to run on-prem for lots of various reasons. Uh, but we're not good at um, sort of that connectivity, either from a networking perspective, um, openly. So I think. Uh, or seamlessly, I should say. So I think there's some work to do there. Um, I would say that, um, to, to sum it up, I would say that we've sort of been lucky that we have this big firewall around everything that we do on-prem. And so I think that allows us to um, take certain liberties. You know, we're like, hey, we're behind a firewall, so we don't have to be you know, really stringent about this or that in terms of service-to-service stuff. Um, but as you go into the hybrid cloud world um, and you're sort of going from on-prem to the public and then back, uh, there's some you have to think about those things. So, so API management and sort of uh, and security things are and and also being data driven are some of the the big probably two top two to three things that we're working on uh, over the next year. Yeah, and that that seems like a fruitful area of. Uh seeing if there is a, a, some, some good useful ways of doing like, you know, business to it value mapping stuff in the sense of kind of like you were saying is like, well, if, if everyone around here says we need to do hybrid cloud things, then they must have a reason or they must have a reason is the wrong way of putting it. But like, it will allow us to like explore the reasoning that comes behind, like we must do this thing and uh, maybe kind of surface up the type of analysis and sort of uh, rating you would do for things. And then maybe you can apply that type of, of thinking backwards. But because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it might just be sort of like I was talking about earlier. It's just like an intuitive benefit <laughs> that you just want that yeah. uh, without it being sort of like excruciatingly analyzed with numbers. Right. Well, I think it's interesting is going back to that whole ROI thing. I think for us, we're looking at it slightly differently as well. Um, for me anyway, um, I definitely think there's a business side to that, you know, pushing two times more frequently to production sells more hammers. But I think what we're interested in learning is, um, uh, hey, like, does the tech stack that you choose, how does that impact or the size of your team? What we're trying to look at is, you know, what is, uh, you know, if you're in, you know, App Engine or CF or Kubernetes, how does that impact your team's ability to deliver? And unless you have a yeah. really good business case for choosing one technology over the other, Let's be very data driven about the decisions that we make uh, from team sizing and silos and uh, 
and the tech stack choices and stuff. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That that that's that seems like a good uh, uh, is it a solve or a balm? Seems like a good way to address like a uh, data driven question like like finances is uh, get some data. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, when you have a bunch of people in the room and they're like, "Hey, we should go Kubernetes and we should go this," it's you know um, instead of just sort of debating it, rather just like, "Well, let's just look at the data and let that decide." Um, I think that's that will be more fruitful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, great. Well, uh, thanks for coming back on and uh, uh, checking in on us, going going through stuff. Or I guess we checked in on you, but whatever. Uh, do, if uh, <laughs> if people wanted to uh, see what you're up to online, or you know, to get a Twitter account or any other things, you would point them at uh, for uh, further study. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's mostly dad stuff, but uh, you can check me out on Twitter at uh, Epic Nerd um, on Twitter. So. And uh, and LinkedIn, uh, just Anthony McCulley on LinkedIn. That would be great if you were just epic nerd in LinkedIn too. I think that would, that would fit well. <laughs> just own the name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you know maybe was it about five years ago that there was some like uh, Dada absurdistism in in LinkedIn when they uh, introduced endorsements and people would get endorsed for like you know hot dog eating and things like that. Yeah, I, um, I mean, I just endorsed you for mustard on on carrots like an hour ago. So. <laughs> carrot, <laughs> carrot condiment innovation. <laughs> I uh, yeah, those things were hilarious. I never, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna add on Cote and Richard. I'm glad to both of yours. I'm that's good. You, this is, you know, when I when I enter my I don't know if it's third or fourth career as a uh, consumer packaged goods and condiment uh, marketeer, these are really gonna pay off. These, these endorsements Clearly. that's gonna yep. be good. that's right and then and I, then uh, i might write you i'm gonna write one for you okay i'm gonna look forward <laughs> to it and are, are y'all uh are y'all still hiring or is 900 enough are you, no, are you no, still trying to find hiring. trash cans for them all no 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 we're definitely hiring i think uh i think we're filling up in atlanta but they're still hiring uh folks anyone interested in working in austin we still have uh some openings there for sure oh yes that's a good that's a good good place to go work all right well great well uh thanks again and uh as always this has been pivotal conversations if you want to uh, i guess you're already listening to this one but if you want to go check out some of the other episodes if you go to soundcloud.com slash pivotal conversations you can see them there And about every Thursday, if I remember to click the publish button, as I did not last week, but eventually did, about every Thursday, uh, you can see the full show notes over at pivotal.io slash podcast, and we'll put some links to some other relevant things and uh, and stuff Tony has done in the past. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.